namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sankhang namassami I thought this evening I would speak on the subject of forgiveness. I received a phone call a few days ago from a good friend, somebody I've known for many, many years, somebody who lives the other side of the world, and they wanted to talk about this subject of forgiveness. And the reasons in their personal life were, were seriously painful, and by any standard very unjust and unfair and regrettable they've been deeply betrayed by somebody in whom they put trust, a lot of trust and and there were very heavy consequences of this betrayal both in terms of convenience, the inconvenience this betrayal had caused in terms of reputation this, uh, what had happened as a result of caused a lot of disruption socially and financially so this friend wanted to talk about forgiveness and so this has been on my mind the last few days and would be something useful to consider perhaps together this evening I'm sure it is something that from time to time all of us have to look at we, we feel we've been betrayed or offended or hurt by somebody and then we suffer somewhere in there there's the idea that we should forgive this person and yet the reality can be so much the opposite if somebody's really done something that has caused us a lot of suffering the it's more likely the case that we we want to dwell on thoughts of ill will even small things somebody can just make some slight gesture I think I've, I've spoken before about that incident where not long after I first arrived in England and I was walking along the road this was living when I was living in West Sussex and with my arms bowed I'd been walking to some people to, to receive alms food and doing this harmless little ritual that holy men have been doing for thousands of years and and some some local yobs went by in the car and stuck their head out the window and screamed in obscenities at me you so and so and I was really shocked because I, I thought English people were nice you know I come in New Zealand we all look up to the English we think that they're all civilised and New Zealand we're all peasants and Philistines and uncultured. I've been told the old, I've been told the only culture in New Zealand is yogurt. So when I came to this country, I thought I was going to meet really respectable, civilized people, and and here's this person with an English accent calling me such and such. I'm not going to repeat it. And I was really, really cut to the quick, and upset my meal and. And it was actually five o'clock in the evening before I realized that 
I, in, the, in my mind, I was still saying this, you such and such, you such and such, you such and such, and, and suddenly I caught myself and thought, well, you know, who's the idiot here? I mean, they only called it to me once, and I've called it to myself a thousand times. You know, I've been dwelling on this all day, and they're probably off having a nice time somewhere. You know, they, I'm much worse than they are. And that was, it was only a small thing, but it was a helpful little insight to to realize that, you know, we've got some, we've got a part to play in this. Okay, we might be, we might be offended and we might feel justified in, in feeling hurt, but are we justified in dwelling on ill will or anger or resentment or thoughts of cruelty? Which is what, what can happen when we've been harmed or feel we've been harmed by another and we don't feel able to forgive. Partly, it's important to to own up to the fact that we don't want to forgive. That part of us wants to dwell on ill will. Because we're not honest about that, well, we don't really have anywhere to start. So if we have sufficient mindfulness and, and honesty, well, when somebody harms us in a small way or in a very gross way, in a really way that we feel is absolutely unspeakable and on a feeling level, utterly unforgivable. We need to come back to the place and, and being honest with ourselves and say, well, I don't want to forgive. I want this person to suffer. And I want them to have a bad time and to start from that place. And, and then to, from the Buddhist perspective, then we've got something to reflect upon. Because the nature of our will, whereas anger as a passion is part of what we have to deal with as human animals and there's no way we can avoid it even if we can deal with all our own anger we're going to be subject of other people's anger even the Buddha in the place of his purity and complete freedom from such things was the uh, recipient of other people's anger and abuse so we do need to come to terms with this this passion but that's our responsibility and, and we need to we need to see what's ours. We, we can, of course, speak about how things should or shouldn't be socially in the outside world. That's one dimension. But from the practice perspective, the spiritual perspective, we need to know what's our responsibility. So coming to terms with, with ill will is really important. And by coming to terms with it, I don't mean putting a judgment on it saying, well, we shouldn't have ill will. We should all forgive each other. I can remember being told when I was young by my grandmother, you should forgive your enemies. And I just I just hate them. You know, there's certain people that I just hated. And Morrinsville wasn't a nice place to grow up. I won't go into the details here, but I can remember times, and I won't go into now, I won't tell, I'd like to, but I won't. <laughs> things that used to happen in Morrinsville that were not very good and some of these people I used to really hate I didn't want to forgive them but all the only solution I was given to is well you should forgive them you should forgive them and and that's not good enough actually that's not helpful enough we need more than that we need more tools well fortunately the Buddha gave us some tools and so he spoke a lot about this and gave various images various similes 
and spoke about and encouraged us to look into the nature of ill will. In one case, he spoke about ill will as a disease. Now, he was talking to monks at the time and he was saying, if you're suffering from the disease of ill will, it's like when you've got a fever, a high fever, and you're full of phlegm and, and mucus and somebody comes along with a delicious drink sweetened with honey and offers it to you and you, you drink it and you say it's bitter, it's nasty, it's awful and spit it out. And he said, likewise, when a monk is possessed by the disease of ill will, even though his teacher comes along and offers him advice, which is good for him, for out of his best interest, he rejects it and spits it out and, and dismisses it because the mind is possessed with ill will. And so seeing it as a disease, and also it's spoken about, we're talking about in meditation, the five hindrances, the second of the five hindrances is ill will, then the Buddha took, gives the image, he said, it's like when you look into a pot on a stove with boiling water in it and try to see your reflection. You can't see your reflection. He said, likewise, when somebody's mind is possessed with ill will, then they can't see what's good for themselves and they can't see how to get out of the situation in which they're creating their own suffering. And so by way of these suggestions, the Buddha encourages us to reflect on our responsibility. See, well, what happens when there's ill will in our hearts and, and when our mind becomes possessed by it? Not just to moralize about it and say, well, you should be forgiving. To look and get to the point of admitting that even though when we remember something that's been done to us that's very painful or something that's caused us pain, we can have the memory. We're never going to get rid of the memory. It doesn't matter how long we're going to live, we'll probably have the memory. But the choice to invest ill will in that is something we're doing. That's something we're doing. To get to that point where we see that adding ill will, adding resentment, adding bitterness, wishing thoughts of cruelty that's extra that's something we have complete control over and if we can get to that point well then at the very least we can intuit that forgiveness is not necessarily getting to like somebody or forgetting about what happened but forgiveness is ceasing to invest ill will into the memory and that's something we can choose to do. And it's not, it's not just a matter of, of how we should or shouldn't be. We're not just moralizing it ourselves and then feeling guilty because we can't feel positive towards somebody who's, who's hurt us a lot. What we can do is we can genuinely look and see where and how and when we're investing ill will, resentment, into a memory and feeding it. So the Buddha encourages us to see how we nourish ill will. This is something that we actually nourish. We nourish it by dwelling on it, like my thoughts about those yobos down in West Sussex. So that's something to recognise, that how we, we, if we dwell on thoughts of ill will, what we do is we nourish, we nourish it, we keep it alive, we feed it. Well, classically, of course, the image is like, Instead of putting water on a fire, you put petrol on it. We all know what that, that does. 
you know, likewise in the mind when we, we dwell and we go over and over and over and over it again they did this and they did that, they did that, they did that. by regularly dwelling on it we nourish it, we feed it, we keep the ill will alive and to come to see that the opposite is true that if we restrain the mind from dwelling on thoughts of ill will and we can see that but I want to hate this person I really want to dwell on thoughts oh that's alright, you can want it there's nothing wrong with wanting to hate somebody but just because we want to hate somebody it doesn't mean to say we have to we're allowed to want to hate somebody but if we look a little deeper and say well, what are the consequences what happens if I hate somebody what happens if I dwell on this and does it, does it really bring increased well-being so in this way using the mind to reflect on the nature of our world using the power of the mind to understand to reflect on it if we're so caught up in it that we can't even reflect on it well then one of the things the Buddha encouraged that's going to help us is wise companionship good companionship that if you're really caught up in resentment and negativity the worst thing to do is to go and talk to other people who are going to feed it because that's easy to do isn't it if you've got a, a thing about somebody we can go and see your friend who you know has also got a thing about them and you can sit down and you go really wind it up really rev it up and just go hammer at tongs at what a so and so this person is you know so yeah, I've learnt something being in Britain. If I was in New Zealand, I'd say it. You know, I've learnt something being in England all this time. But we can. We can get together with our friends and really fuel this resentment and and get off on it. Well, if we're, again, if we're honest and we're really interested in this path of practice of freeing the heart and not contributing to the the ugliness of the world, the tragic ugliness of the world. There's so much of it around and we really genuinely don't want to be contributing to that well we need to reflect on that and just say well no I don't want to stir this up I'm going to restrain myself go and see somebody who's actually going to not feed you know when you start indulging in your resentments about such and such a person doing such and such a thing find somebody who who just gives you the buffalo look and you know, doesn't feed it so skillful, kind, helpful friendship if we're really really caught up in it can help but when we get some tranquility then we get some break from it well then to reflect on it and to, to look at to bring to mind these images that the Buddha gave and see well is this profitable does this benefit me to dwell on these thoughts of ill will what do I get out of it say so, well I, I feel so good when I hate somebody no? Do I really feel good? Do I really? Does it really make me feel good to dwell on thoughts of hatred? Do I sleep well when I dwell on thoughts of hatred? Do I feel peaceful and contented when I dwell on thoughts of hatred? And does it harm the other person? That's what I want to do by hating somebody, by dwelling on thoughts of ill will. What I'm really saying is I'm hoping that they're suffering. But by just dwelling on thoughts of ill will, do we really damage them? Do we really hurt them? One of the things the Buddha encourages us to reflect on is by dwelling on thoughts of ill will think about are you actually depriving the other person of anything virtuous that they might have 
are you depriving them of their virtue? Or of somebody else, to think also if somebody is, is hating us, can they deprive us of our virtue? Just because somebody's hating us, you know, it's awful when somebody hates us and resents us and dwells on thoughts of ill will. But just because somebody hates us, can they actually deprive us of our virtue, of our goodness? No, they can't. But not being aware of these things, not being conscious of these things, we we can allow our mind just to follow this negativity. And it's particularly if you're with a, a group or of people who've got this this thought or you know, it's it can be fashionable to hate a particular section of society. Like asylum seekers at the moment are apparently it's quite fashionable to say unpleasant things about asylum seekers amongst certain sections of society. And of course, all prejudices over the years and abuse of, of minority groups is to do with this, where you get together a group of people and start digging up awful stories about what they've done and, and then repeating them and elaborating them and exaggerating them. And the next thing you know, you, you've got the Ku Klux Klan or, or uh, various other use of groups so if we have any mindfulness at all on our our negativity, our ill will uh, these are the kind of reflections that the, the Buddha encourages us to, to dwell on, to not, not dwell heedlessly on thoughts of ill will thinking that there's no consequences but rather to, to dwell on thoughts of what is the result of my dwelling on ill will what happens when I, I dwell on ill will, what a, what is the effect that it has on people when I dwell on ill will? And what is the effect that it has on me? And this way, little by little, the addiction that we have, dwelling on ill will is a kind of an addiction. It's like the same thing of dwelling on thoughts of desire. We can think that dwelling on thoughts of desire makes us happy. But if you've uh, ever been on a meditation retreat or you've ever been in a situation where you can't gratify your your thoughts of desire and you dwell on your thoughts of desire for longer, it really stirs the body up and you get all hot and agitated and stirs the mind up and you, you can't settle and the mind won't concentrate and although it, it feels like thinking about these thoughts of desire even if they're wholesome you've heard me speak before, in fact it happened again recently that one of the builders came and brought me these catalogues for doing things down on the building site on the retreat house and and I started looking at these catalogues these beautiful bathrooms and kitchens and I could hardly sleep all night now you might think I'm exaggerating I really want this retreat house to be so nice for you to come and be happy there and I want it to look just beautiful and, and these chrome taps I just there's so many beautiful taps that you can get now and the showers and shower doors <laughs> And here I am thinking about these wholesome things. I want you to be happy. But being caught in it, being caught up in desire, is not productive. Now if we don't have mindfulness, we don't question, we don't look at these things, then we we settle for the way things appear to be. Likewise with our will. We think that it's harmless to dwell on thoughts of our will, but it's not harmless to dwell on thoughts of our will. We've got to look deeper. And we've got to see what is the result of dwelling on thoughts of ill will. Does it make us peaceful? Does it benefit us? Does it benefit the world? Until we come to honestly end up and say, no, it doesn't. 
And so then the interest in really overcoming this disease, this mental disorder, this disfigurement of consciousness, we really become interested. I really want to not dwell on these things. And that's important, to give rise to that desire. I really want to not be caught up in this. And you see the ugliness of revenge attacks that go on, and you don't have to look very far at all. In fact, you can't avoid it these days, the revenge attacks that go on in our world. They say, I really do not want to be contributing to that and to give rise to that desire. And let that desire motivate us in our practice. And so the practice to keep being more honest and more refined about when we're indulging in thoughts of ill will and feeding our memories, our painful memories with, with thoughts of ill will and, and be more honest about that. And then also as we feel this desire to be free from it, also let that nourish us in our cultivation of, of loving kindness and compassion. That, and this is uh, two of the qualities that the Buddha pointed out. One is that um, cultivating loving kindness removes ill will. Cultivating compassion removes thoughts of cruelty. That when these are not just thoughts of loving kindness, they're not just, and this is important to understand, we're not just talking about thinking. This is not just a, a mental exercise. We, ill will is not a mental phenomena. Ill will is heat. It's passion. It's the energy that brings about torture and, and horrendous abuse. It's energy. Ill will is energy. The word ill will is a noise. It's a sound syllable which represents the passion of the heart. And that passion, if it's untamed, can manifest as hatred, anger, cruelty. And so when we're talking about cultivating loving kindness, the Buddha is talking about cultivating an energy in the heart. And then as we all know, and as we're going to chant in a, in a minute, the energy is uh, symbolized by that concern a mother has for her only child, that selfless concern, that look that you can see in a mother's eye when she looks at her only child, where whatever happens, the mother is wishing the child well, and that selfless concern of well-wishing, that well-wishing is a force. There's a force that can be generated. Ill will is a force that can be generated. In fact, one of the rules that we have as monks is you can be disrobed as a monk if you use the mental force of your heart to kill somebody. You know, it's, it's suggested that uh, you can commit murder just by even using your mind just to wipe somebody out. I've not seen it done, but I, uh, I certainly do believe that thoughts of ill will can cause harm. But to recognize also that, that thoughts of goodwill, well-wishing, can bring about well-being. And so to generate this, as we feel the, the wish within us, say, I don't want to be part of this revenge-seeking, this bitterness, this resentment, this, this ugliness of the world. I don't want to be part of it, and I don't want to contribute to it. I really want to be able to free myself from it. Letting that desire inspire us in the cultivation of loving kindness and, and the force of well-wishing. To, and to wish it not just for others but for ourselves as well. To really find out how to, how to say that towards ourselves. May I be happy. May I be happy. And to really mean it. What a wonderful what a wonderful. What a wonderful feeling to have. The thought is 
is the trigger or the, the, the conduit, if you like, that directs the heart's energy of well-wishing and to direct it towards oneself. May I be well. And there's, there's a lot of evidence, a lot of tests have been done on, on what happens with, with the power of prayer. Not so long ago there was this, this article which reported how in California they reduce your insurance premiums if you can prove that people are praying for you when you're sick. Only in California, mind you. But, but they recognize, they recognize in California the power of prayer. And within oneself, you, uh, if, if there's pain in the body, again, if you've been on a meditation retreat or you've been making yourself, encouraging yourself to sit through a little pain, you can you know, experiment and see what, what happens when you, you generate ill will towards pain. I hate this pain in my knee. I hate this pain in my back. I wish it would go away. I feel sorry. I feel sad. I feel upset that it's like this. Or if we really make the effort to generate the wish that our being be well, that our body be well, that all beings who suffer be well, and see what the difference is. And so understanding that this, and reflecting on the Buddha's encouragement, that if we want to be free from resentment, from ill will, to learn how to meditate on loving kindness and learning how to practice it, how to cultivate it regularly. And also the, the force of compassion. That, you know, thoughts of cruelty are so tragic, and yet as human beings we're all capable of it, wishing that other people suffer and imagining how they might suffer. It's embarrassing to, to, to admit to oneself that one can have thoughts of cruelty. But not just pushing it aside, that's not good enough. We have to, well the encouragement is, if we really want to be free, is to come to understand it. What are thoughts of cruelty? What are thoughts of cruelty? And, and to, to be able to make that inquiry and to really look into it and to feel into it and, and to investigate First, we've got to get ourselves a break from it. We need to free ourselves. And so the Buddha encouraged the meditation on, on compassion. And the meditation on compassion is, is subtly different from the meditation on loving kindness. Where the meditation on loving kindness is wishing well for beings and this positive feeling towards oneself and others. The meditation on compassion is, is accepting the reality and bringing to heart and bringing to mind the awareness of suffering and feeling suffering within oneself and and then also the suffering of those that one's close to giving rise to feeling in one heart, one's heart that warmth that warm feeling of wishing beings be free from suffering it's, it's subtly different from wishing beings be well and beings be happy but acknowledging suffering within oneself and to feel that all beings suffer and to feel with them that empathetic wish that beings be free from suffering. And the encouragement is to cultivate that, of course, towards our friends, but also towards beings that we don't know and towards beings that, that we actually resent. I just finished reading a, a wonderful book called Rainbow Palace, I think. It was called Rainbow Palace. Is that right? Rainbow Palace. And it's written by the, the Dalai Lama's physician whose name I've forgotten and this guy was locked up in prison and, and tortured for 
I don't know, 17 or 20 years in Tibet. He was a young monk, a young doctor monk, looked after the Dalai Lama when the Dalai Lama fled and he was left behind. I think he was in his early 20s or something at the time. And because he was a physician to the Dalai Lama, they assumed that he knew all sorts of information, so they tormented him, persecuted him. The most horrendous, unspeakable abuse he was subjected to in various prisons in Tibet and in China. He was moved around for 17 years. But as a young monk and as a young physician, he had been trained that he had to treat all his patients as if they were his mother. That was the mind state that he had to cultivate. And that if you, as a doctor, had the skills to heal and somebody was sick and they came to you and you didn't treat them with the mind state with which you would treat your mother, then the consequences was going to be rebirth in the lower realms, very low realms. And so he'd worked very hard to maintain this mind state. And so his heart was protected whereas most of the people, understandably, that were in these prisons committed suicide or died under the abuse, he somehow managed to survive. And not only did he survive, but towards the end of his imprisonment, his jailers found out what a good physician he was, he was better than the Chinese, and they started coming and getting treatment. And so his jailers, these people who'd been abusing him, came and he was treating them. He was treating these guys with medicine and healing them. And he came out of Tibet, obviously seriously damaged physically as a human being, but his heart and mind was not damaged. And it's a wonderful example, a wonderful inspiration for the benefit of of cultivating compassion to see that all beings suffer. And his regular reflection was, these people are only doing this to me because of ignorance. They don't know what they're doing. Now, if we can hold that thought in mind, then maybe there's a chance that the feeling of compassion, recognizing that these people who are abusing me also suffer, may be established. And if that thought does arise, well, then the heart's protected from feelings of wishing beings suffer, feelings of cruelty. So there's a science to this. This is, this is not just a moral argument, but rather recognizing that that we have a part to play in this. We can cultivate these forces of loving kindness, of compassion, these reflections on what is the result of dwelling on thoughts of ill will. Does it benefit me to dwell on it? Does it benefit them to dwell on it? Reflecting on the law of karma, that beings are the owners of their karma and the equanimity that comes from that. Somebody has abused us. There's an encouragement in the scriptures to reflect that beings are the owners of their karma what they've done to me or what they've done to others, they will receive the result of that. Now again, I emphasize this is not, a, this is not just a, a moral argument or a panacea or just something to make ourselves feel good, but rather ways of encouraging our hearts to feel what we can do and where we can make an effort that's actually going to make a difference. So when we're challenged with this issue of the need for forgiveness, that where we've been harmed and we, we want to forgive but we don't feel able to, well then I would suggest that it's, 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 it might be helpful to reflect on this dynamic of how the memory is always going to be there. We're not, we can't forget necessarily what's happened but we're not obliged to invest ill will in these memories. And our indulgence or our Investment of ill will is something that we can do something about. 
Thank you very much this evening for your attention. I'm